Amen. Thank you, Larry. If you brought a Bible, open it to 2 Kings chapter 6 with me. 2 Kings chapter 6. You've probably been reading. I mentioned it last Sunday in an article that came out in, uh, I believe, the Jackson paper. But if you read the Baptist and Reflector this week, you read about our denomination and what's happening and a decline that's occurring in Southern Baptist life. And I want to try to give you the answer this morning that I believe will wake us up and cause us to go the right way. I've entitled the message, The Edge. We'll read that text in just a moment. By the way, the races this afternoon are from 2 to 5, so church starts at 6. That ought to work out just right, amen? We'll have time to watch the races, have some fun and fellowship, enjoy the afternoon with our families and then be right back in here at 6 to enjoy a glorious time of worship together. So we'll look forward to you back tonight. Brother Counts, good to have you in the service with us. Always good to see you here with us. We're delighted that you're a part of our, our worship today. You know, I was thinking about the edge. I believe what's happened in Baptist life, we've kind of lost the edge. We've, uh, we've gotten a little bit dull as a denomination. That's why you're reading some of the facts that that you're reading. I brought with me a razor this morning, just an old cheapie here, and I'll ask you a question. What does it take to make this razor effective? Sharp, they're saying. Boy, I heard the ladies saying that, because guys and gals use razors, and uh, it takes a sharp razor for it to be effective. It has nothing to do with the color of it. This happens to be an old cheapie with a green and blue handle. It has nothing to do with how long the handle is, how short the handle is. doesn't matter how much money you spend to buy that thing. It needs to be sharp for it to do its job, for it to be effective. We were doing a people sharing Jesus in California a while back, and I'd forgotten my razor, and I asked the guy that we were staying with if I could borrow a razor. He said, yeah. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm going to loan you this gold-plated handle razor that I got. I thought, man, isn't this wonderful? I'm going to be shaving with a razor with a gold-plated handle. But I want to tell you what, that thing was dull. It was a dud, man. He could have his $100 gold-plated razor back. Give me a 10-cent sharp bick and uh, let me shave with that. Because if you lose the edge on a razor, it's painful it's ineffective, and it's useless. You might as well take this thing and just throw it in the garbage can because I don't care how attractive it may look, how pretty it is, how expensive it is, if it's lost its edge, it's not any good. Now, I want to tell you something. Christianity requires a sharp edge. Christianity requires those of us who are God's children to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And a lot of church members just lose the edge. You know, they, they might get fired up for 10 minutes in church, but boy, they go right back to an old dull, dead lifestyle all week long, not telling anybody about Jesus, not excited about the kingdom of God, letting the worries of the world just choke out the joy of God in their lives. And I see Christians and churches attempting to harvest this lost world we live in with dull lives. It just doesn't happen, guys. I'm seeing it across the board in Southern Baptist life. And so this morning, here's what I want to do with you. I want to take you and me both to the wet rock. 
let's go to the sharpening stone. Let's go to the rock of ages and let Jesus just put a little, little better edge on our lives. You may be saying, well, Brother Bill, I'm as sharp as I can get. No, I don't believe that. I believe God can still do a new work in all of us today. You agree with that? And that's what we ought to desire for. Don't sit there like an old dead bump. Man, desire God to do something new in your life. You say, well, I came in here with a sour attitude, and I'm going to leave with one. Well, buddy, I'm going to do all I can to get that away from you. I'm going to try and get that sourness out of your life and try to get inside of you some joy of Jesus. You say, well, Brother Bill, you don't know how I'm feeling. doesn't matter how you're feeling. I'll tell you how Jesus is feeling. And he's feeling good about the kingdom of God. And he wants to do something in our lives. You know, God has placed every passage in the Bible for a reason. You may think there's some filler material, but I want you to know there's no filler material. It's all there because God wants us to learn something from it, get a lesson from it. So let's open to 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. Why don't you stand with me as I read it? Man, what an interesting passage. One for Southern Baptist today. Verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Their meeting quarters had gotten too small. They had swollen into a growth, and God was doing a mighty work. Please let us go to the Jordan, and let every man take a beam from there, take a log or a tree from there, and let us make there a place where we can dwell. And Elisha answered and said, It's good with me. Go ahead and go. Then one of them said to him, Please consent to go with your servants. And Elisha said, I'll go with you. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they began to cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was a borrowed axe. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. Now this is a pretty weird passage. Can you just imagine that iron axe head treading water there in the Jordan River and all those young preacher boys watching that? By the way, how many of you believe that really happened? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it doesn't matter whether we do or not, it did, amen? Because the Word of God tells us that it did. Therefore, Elisha said to the young preacher, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand, grabbed that axe head, put it back on the handle, and went back to work. There's a message in there for us today, for our church, for your individual life, and for Southern Baptist in general. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to be in this place today and to be able to open the Word of God without any hindrance, with no opposition, and be able to think through for a few minutes the joy of having the edge of God upon our lives. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the fact that people come to know Jesus whenever we have ourselves tuned up in the right way. 
And I pray that you'll do a fresh work in every person today. We dedicate and give you these moments, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the context is wonderful. The context is one full of victory and power. Elisha was traveling around the country leading young preacher boys in seminary sessions to try to get them fired up with the gospel. And the particular seminary he was training near the Jordan River had grown enormously. And it had gotten so big there wasn't a large enough meeting room for them. And one of the young students came and said, I've got an idea. Why don't we get everybody to go down to the Jordan, you know, cut down some trees, we'll, we'll uh, get the lumber involved, and we'll build a great big training center dormitory right there in that area, and you can just keep right on training us. Elisha said, you know, I love the idea. And so they're down there doing it. They're working. They're involved in the kingdom of God. They're preparing for the proclamation of the word of God. And one of them loses an axe head. He's chopping away, and boom, it falls off into the Jordan River. And that's where the passage takes us. That's what we find. And you know what? We can look at a passage like that and say, well, I guess I'll skip over this one. Because who has an idea what you're going to do with a story about a guy who lost the axe head in the Jordan River. But I want you to know this. Every passage in the Bible has a spiritual meaning. God made no mistakes by leaving that one in the Word of God. And I believe God has a message in that passage for our entire denomination, for all of our churches, and for every one of us as individual Christians. So here's the thesis. Many Christians and many churches have lost their sharp edge of Christianity. And they're not really excited about what God is doing. They have cooled off and they have backed off and they are really slugging at an old lost world with an axe handle. Now I'm going to tell you what you can do with an axe handle. You can make a lot of racket, but you can't cut much wood. You might knock a hunk of bark or two off. And our, I see our churches around the Someone said to me, we don't like you going to Florida because we're afraid you may go down there and stay. No sweat, man. I'm staying right here. I love it right here in the Pickwick area. I have no desire to go to Florida, but I do have a desire to help every church that wants me to help them. And so I'm going to do all I can to pastor this church and help other churches that are in a struggle. I went to a declining church that's really in a, in a rut right now and trying to climb its way out. And I've got some good news amidst the bad news about that church, and I'll share it with you as we move along. But I want to try to define sharpness as a Christian in a church. Sharpness means that we have that cutting edge that people in our midst are coming to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. That's the greatest evidence of sharpness. If a church is on the edge where God wants it to be, people will be saved in that church. Because let me tell you something, God had no other reason for coming to this planet than to get everybody out there that will say yes to him to receive Christ into their lives. A church that's the opposite of that is one that's dull, ineffective, and powerless. There's no supernatural, there's nothing fresh, there's nothing exciting occurring in that church. And I've already mentioned the Baptist and Reflector. If you read your Baptist and Reflector, you had to be burdened by that on the front page of the Baptist and Reflector. 
because it told us that we're declining in every area in Southern Baptist life except money. <laughs> Money's being given. You know why? Because we're living in prosperous days. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul having all that income coming in and trying to decide what to do with it to reach more people with the gospel? So we got every area working for us except giving. You know what that is? That's the opposite of the early church. The early church didn't have any money, but you know what? They had the power of God. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the power of God than the money. I'd rather this church be full of the Holy Spirit on the edge, reaching people for Christ, than to have the coffers overflowing with money out there. And I know that disturbs some of y'all, because some of y'all evaluate things on how much money there is around. But I want to tell you something. In the early church, if you remember that story, when Peter and John were going to worship God, remember that? Now, I've told you this before. I'm sure glad Peter was broke that day, because as he entered the church, there was a guy sitting there with a tin cup. The Bible tells us Simon reached into his pocket. Remember that? Simon reached into his pocket to pull out a little coin to drop in the tin cup. But you know what? He was broke that day. He didn't have any money that day. He couldn't give the guy a quarter. And he said this. Hey, because I'm broke and because I don't have any money, all I'm going to do is give you what I got in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the Bible says the guy jumped up on his ankles, began to dance in the temple, ran out of that place praising God and shouting that God had done a work in his life. Aren't you glad Peter was broke that day? Because that old dude would still be down there with nothing going for him, shaking a tin cup, and maybe he got a quarter in the cup. But instead of getting a quarter in the cup, he got God in his life. Let me tell you what's wrong in Southern Baptist life. We got a lot of money coming in. We got a lot of wealthy people putting dollars in our churches and our budgets have grown like everything in church and our baptisms are going down the tubes and our memberships shrinking and people don't want to come to church because I got news for you, it's not dollars, it's God that makes a church go. And what's happened is we've gotten dull. We need some sharpening. And I want to tell you one of the big problems I'm seeing it all over our denomination. I want to warn you of it. Dr. Rogers and I, met shortly before he died he said Bill the greatest danger in Southern Baptist life right now is the slipping in of Calvinism in our denomination am I seeing that absolutely it's happening you say well, what's wrong with Calvinism a whole lot of stuff's wrong with Calvinism <laughs> I'm going to tell you just one of their five points one of their five points says that Jesus, when he died on the cross, had limited atonement. That's one of the five points of Calvinism. Limited atonement. Here's what limited atonement means. That as Christ hung there and died on the cross, he did not die for everybody out there. He only died for those that he had predestined ahead of time to go to heaven. But those that he had predestined ahead of time to go to hell, he did not die for them. That is not true. I believe when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every person out there. And if you'll say yes to Jesus, you can be saved. Oh, does God know whether they will or will not? Absolutely he knows that. Because he's all-knowing. But it has nothing to do with the way the Calvinists look at it. That God at creation laid these 
five up here. I heard a guy preach one time. We were, we were doing people share Jesus in his church. I wondered why he had us over there. Because that dude preached, he brought ten stones. He laid five over here and five over here. He said, whenever these five people were born, before they were born, God already knew he's going to send them to heaven, and he already knew he's going to send these five to hell. No, that isn't the way it works at all. God may already know, and I believe he does, whether these five will accept or reject, but that has nothing to do with God sending five of them to hell. He just already knows that because he's that bright. And we got churches in our denomination, see, they're backing off on, in one of our great Southern Baptist churches, that I heard about is moving toward the Calvin Trail. Moving down there. And what's happening is churches are losing their edge. Let me push it to its fullest extent. If you believe five points of Calvinism, then you will say, Darnell, y'all are crazy to even try to get people saved because it doesn't make any difference anyway. It's already all worked out. Well, I believe the only thing God asked the church to do was the Great Commission. <laughs> Isn't that something? He didn't ask us to do anything else. He really didn't ask us to do about 90% of what we do. That's just man-made stuff. That's why I don't get all excited about man-made stuff. The only thing that really excites my heart is people coming to Christ and Christians getting excited so they'll go tell people to come to Christ. That does excite me because I see that as the mandate of Jesus upon our lives and upon the church. Well, let's get it. You know, our church is already there. We're walking with it. We're running. But we got a long way to go. And God has some good things in front of us. And we're going to stay on target. Because you know what? I believe that's where God wants us. And I believe God will bless us as we stay right there on that target. There are five quickies I want to give you this morning. We'll see how quick. But I'm going to give you five quickies, okay? Number one, the edge is imperative for ministry. It is imperative for ministry or imperative for harvest. Either way you want to look at it. If you don't have the edge on your life, you will not have harvest in your life. You will not be leading others to Christ. And so this edge I'm talking about, it's imperative for ministry. It starts right there in verse 5. If you notice, when the axe head fell into the water, the young preacher boy cried out, when that axe head fell in the water. I believe the beginning point for anyone who needs help and renewal and excitement in their life, the beginning point is to say this word to God, Help! God, I need help in my life. I need you to do a work inside of me. And that's exactly where we see the guy starting. He just yelled out. He cried out. I've lost the edge. I can't help any longer in the project. I'm a dud out here. I'm not getting anything done toward the development of this dormitory, of this church that we're trying to build. I need help because I have lost my edge. See, without that edge, you don't harvest trees. Without that edge, you don't help your buddies out there as they're all working together. Without that edge, you can't accomplish the task. Do you know that's what's wrong in our churches today? We have people who don't have the edge. a matter of fact, it's worse than that. When they don't have the edge on their lives, they're half mad at all of us who do have it. They don't like it. And what they want to do is try to cool you off. Let me tell you this. Don't you let any old sour, dead Christian cool you off. Amen? Don't let them cool you off. They're going to try. Hey, they try on me all the time. But you know what? I'm not paying any attention to them because I don't get my orders from anybody else. I only get them from Jesus. And there's where I want to go, and there's who 
I want to follow. You know, has your sharp edge of power kind of become dull? Has it slipped off the axe handle? And no longer are you accomplishing anything? I tell you, it'll fall a lot of different places. That axe head will fall into the waters of worldliness. You know what will happen? This world will choke us out. It will choke us down if we let it happen. And the world is so full of other things. I had a great preacher friend who was really an unbelievable guy. He had developed some, some real powerful churches. But you know what happened to him about midway through his ministry? He, decided, he was very talented. He could have done anything. And he told me, he said, what I did, he said, I decided I wanted to make a million dollars. I said, you know what, I'm going to go that direction instead of preaching. Well, he went out of the ministry, and I mean, just in a couple of years, he was already a millionaire. I mean, this guy had the ability, and it's out there to be made and out there to be done if you go after it. And he made him a million bucks. Matter of fact, he made a whole lot more than that. He bought ranches and and all kinds of things. And I'm not going to identify what state he was in. Let's leave that out of it. But he really became a wealthy entrepreneur. And he told me toward the end of his life, I was having a meal with him one day. He said, Brother Bill, I want to tell you something. I'm a very wealthy man, but I'm the most miserable man you ever looked at in your life. I've got all this money. I've made all this money. I've bought all these things. But I did not keep the edge of God in my life. I walked away from the ministry. I walked away from proclamation of the word of God. And I am a miserable, miserable guy. I want you to know your axe head can fall off into the waters of the world. And they'll swallow it up. And you'll try to justify it if you're not careful. Or it could just fall off into a pond of indifference. And what that is, that's a pond that says, I don't care anyway. I don't care whether that guy living over in that trailer goes to heaven or hell to begin with. That's the pond of indifference. Every child of God ought to care about every person. And we ought to give it all we've got to see that everybody has an opportunity to make it in life with Christ in their lives. Or your axe head may fall off into a swamp of sluggishness and you're just lazy. You just don't want to be involved in the kingdom. Or it may get off in a stream of sin. Isn't Satan sly? Boy, he's, he's slick, isn't he? He can pull us off into sin. Uh, Charles was teaching about it this morning, and, and we were sitting back there, and he asked a question. I said, yeah, it was sin. Sin is what caused that. You know, oh, Satan is so slick, he can just pull us off into that stream of sin, or he can get us so busy that we don't have time to do the main thing. And that's where a lot of our churches are. You know, we got a lot of busyness going on. We got committee meetings here and committee meetings there. People running to and fro and meeting every night and feeling real good about it. They're doing the work of the Lord. While the world just goes on to hell and their church just keeps sliding and keeps slipping. I know because I just came from one of them, you know, where, where there is no power, where it's just, it's kind of like Samson when he had all that power on his life. Remember that? And Samson, Delilah, after she shaved his head, he was laying there in Delilah's lap, and the enemy came, and Samson said, you know what, I'm going to get up like I always have. I'm going to get the power of God on my life, and I'm going out there to defeat all those enemies right now. And he jumped up off Delilah's lap to run out there and do that. And the Bible says in that next verse, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He didn't even know he didn't have power in his life. You know what I'm saying? We have churches that don't even realize they've gone from 300 to 50. They're just fooling themselves. They've gotten busier. 
because they want it to seem like it's okay. And it's not okay. It's absolutely wrong. And the reason is the axe head fell off. They lost the power. They lost the cutting edge. I told you Wednesday night I preached in a church in Cocoa, Florida. Fortunately, Bruce Mason, my buddy, came over and sang. And they were like the average SBC church. You know what the average SBC church is? You know, Sunday morning, maybe a couple of hundred. Sunday night, 75 come back. Wednesday night, 30 or 40 show up. Y'all understand that, don't you? We understand that. And that's exactly where that church is. And about 40 of their members came, and Bruce sang, and I preached. And you know what? They not only leveled off, plateaued, and cooled off, they've slid down the back hill. And they are really in need of a move of God in that church. And I preached just a fired-up sermon about being a turbocharged church and getting out there and winning the community. And I, I really honestly think I almost scared the preacher. After it's over, he said, we got to pray about this, don't we, Brother Bill? You know what I fire? I asked his members, I said, if you're willing to come for training, learn how to share Christ, get out in this community, let's win this community for Christ, turn this church around, and let God do a fresh work, I want you to stand up as a testimony, you'll do that. 34 of those 40 stood to their feet and said, let's go for it. And I said, preacher, you got your start right there. You got your start. Sign those 34 up. Go into your Sunday school departments. Tell them, yeah, we're going we're gonna to learn how to share Christ in this community. We're going to get out of here and get something done. And that's when he looked at me like, man, he wasn't sure what was happening. It just really took him back, you know, to see that his people might really be involved in wanting to win the community. Hey, I believe most Christians probably want to do it. I don't think most Christians know how. I believe we Baptists who claim we're a people of the book have no clue how to win someone to Christ. We've not ever digested that. We've not ever really grasped that. And you know what happens whenever Christians begin to get a hold to it, then they begin to use it. And I'm seeing that. I'm seeing it right here in our church. I'm watching some of you. You know, a couple of folks got saved yesterday. One of our teams was out sharing Christ. It just happens, you know, when we get a hold of the good news and it takes place. So that's the first thing that I want to say to you. It's imperative for ministry. You're not going to get it done without the axe head. If you leave it in the water, nothing's going to happen. Number two, the edge is available for ministry. Not only is it necessary and imperative, it's available. God's made it available to us. That's why Elisha asked him the question, where did you lose that thing, buddy? You know what? That's a perceptive question. Where did you lose that? Where did it fall? Show me the spot. Well, maybe the guy with the axe, you know, I don't know, maybe he put a mark on a tree or laid his axe handle down by the edge of the Jordan River, ran over to tell Elisha he had lost it and to confess that he needed help there. The reason that question is so important is there's no, lit, no need looking for that axe at a mile upstream. That ain't where you're going to find it. You're going to find the lost spark in your life where you lost it. Did you get that? You're going to find it where you lost it. If you don't go back there and get that straightened out, you're probably not going to go forward. You've got to go back to that spot. Samson lost it in sensuality, and Samson had to go back to that spot and say, Oh God, I have sinned against you. I have failed you, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and work again in my life. 
And the last act of Samson was a very powerful act as God came back on him and God used him one more time. See, we've got to return to the point of loss to recover the sharp edge. You can't just keep trucking on. You've got to go back to that spot and find out what happened there. Why did that take place? And, you know, I see it in churches all the time. I understand. You know, someone gets their feelings hurt, so they're not going to come to church anymore. Let me just say this to you. Please don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Because you're not hurting anyone else but you. But you are drastically hurting yourself. When just because you got your feet And listen, if you got your feelings out that far, they're going to get hurt. Did you know that? They're going to get hurt. I'm going to hurt them up here. Amen? Man, every time y'all come out, you say, I bought me a new pair of steel-toed shoes today, preacher. Because you're just mangling my feet out there. And you know what? Some people get mad about that. But those of us who want to grow, we take a step with it. Amen? Listen, if my life's a little dull, I want it sharper. And I'm glad someone will tell me how to get up on the wet stone to get that thing. You know, if you think you're where you need to be, you don't need anything. You've already arrived. You're in the status of Jesus. Then you ought to be up here helping all of us. Because I don't know about most of you out there, but let me get a show of hands. That'd be good. How many of you believe there's still some work God needs to do in your life? Let me see your hand. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I thought I was preaching right. I just want to be sure. I know there's five or six that are already there. You know what I'm saying? But I've got to be sure that I'm on the 99% track. Because the 99% track is where we want to be, amen? We can't get on the 1% track. We've got to stay where it really You know, i got my feelings hurt. So I haven't been back to church in 10 years. My goodness. You know what you need? You need salvation. Amen? That'll change that. That'll bring the Holy Ghost in you. And you can't stay away from it. Amen? Well, I allowed sin to slip in my life. Yeah, I know how that is. Boy, Satan can slip it in on you. He knows every one of our besetting sins. Do you know that? He knows how to get you. He knows how to get you puffed up at somebody. He knows how to get you wanting to retaliate against somebody. He knows how to get you doing this. He's good. Let me tell you, he's good at finding our weak spot. Matter of fact, he's supernatural at finding that. Yeah, sin's slipped in. Well, I just stopped reading the Bible, don't have my quiet time anymore. Well, you are doomed to failure. <laughs> if you're not letting the Word of God bathe your heart, and satisfy you every day. You're in trouble. And so you need to get you a little time every day where you just read a scripture and let God speak to you there. Maybe you became so successful you didn't need God. There's where a lot of Americans are. See, they have been so prosperous that their view of life is, I don't really need God anyway. But you know what? I buried a lot of them. They all went out the same way was Zippo Zero. You say, well, Brother Bill, what about my house at the beach? And what about my house at the mountains? And what about all these things that I have and my motor homes and blah, 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 blah. You know what? You're not taking any of it with you. Hey, I'm not saying don't enjoy it. You know, you've been around me long enough to know, man, I enjoy life. I'm drinking every ounce of it I can get. I don't believe there's anything spiritual about acting sad and mad. I think the best witness we could have in the world is everybody seeing us as satisfied customers, amen? 
and said, yeah, they understand how to live life. And they're, I'm not saying don't enjoy life. Enjoy what God has given you. But don't you plan on taking any of that with you because it won't go with you. It's not going there at all. And some of us become so successful we don't need God. Sometimes it's pride. I was interim in a church not too far from here. They built a new auditorium like we have here. Gorgeous, beautiful auditorium. And when I came in as interim, I detected in two or three weeks that they had pride in the church about the new auditorium. Well, it was about half full, so you know what? wasn't wasn't really anything to get proud about. But, I mean, they, they were proud that they built that new auditorium. And I began to preach on it. I began to bear down. I'm sure some of them got mad. That's the way life goes. You know that? But you know what? 95% of them didn't get mad. They said, the preacher's right. We've been declining ever since we built this new facility because we became proud of what we had done rather than exalt Jesus in the place. You know, I want to say, commend you guys. I have not detected one person come to me since I've been here a year and however long I've been here with pride in their heart about the auditorium and not willing to win the community of Christ. I had not had anybody come to me that way. Praise God. Amen. That's a church staying on target. Listen, God's given us a great facility. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's gorgeous. It's wonderful. And this summer, as all those lake people come up here, you know what? We're going to all enjoy it. Amen? And it's going to be sweet in here. But we're not proud about this. Matter of fact, the only thing we're proud about is Jesus. Because he is the one who paid the price for our sin. So you can get pride. You can get an offense against another person. I, it, you know, I could go on and on. You know it. Some of you got it right now. It's inside of you. And you're not willing to ask God to forgive you. Here's what you got to do. Return to the place. Wherever that axe head flew off, that boy had to go over there and say, right there, Elisha, that's where I lost it. I, I became ineffective right here. I could no longer do ministry right there. When I lost that, I was dead. It would never happen again. And Elisha had good news for him. We'll come to that in just a moment. But you've got to go back there. And what you need is to return there and say, Oh God, I confess this is sin before you. I confess that I was wrong here. And I ask you to forgive my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I want to move on. I want to move forward. I'm tired of being stuck on hold right here. And I need to move forward in my life. I believe God will do that for you. I believe God will bless you there. I had the privilege of going back to my home church where I grew up, Trinity Baptist in Port Arthur, Texas. When I was a boy, Trinity Baptist averaged 900 in Sunday school. We were the place to be. It was exciting. God was at work. We had a youth revival in that church. It was incredible. It was a sweet, sweet place to worship. When I went back to help them, the pastor called. My mother kept saying, my mother called me Billy. Mama's in heaven now. Hope she's listening to this. She kept going to the preacher and saying, Just get, get Billy to bring some of those men over there and help us. We need some help in our church. You know why? They've gone from 900 to 100. Now, let me just tell you, in case you hadn't figured that one out, that's growth in the wrong direction. That isn't evidence of the edge of God and the power of God on a church. And Mama said, let's, let's, let's try to get this witnessing thing happening in our church. Well, finally, the pastor called me, and we went over there to help that church, and it was, it going pretty far down the slide. But you know what? The pastor got excited about it. He said, Brother Bill, I have not been witnessing. I haven't been sharing Jesus with anybody 
and I want to go out with your team to share Christ. I said, well, that's fine. That's good. I want you to go, Dr. So-and-so. Come on. And, and we did. And you know what? He got all fired up. He got all fired up. And that Sunday morning, he got up before his church. He confessed to them that he hadn't been leading them to do that. He hadn't been doing it in his own life. But he was fixing to change in his life. And he was asking his church to change with him. And that next year, that church doubled in attendance. Went from 100 to 200 with that pastor saying, you know what, I've got this thing in my hand now. I've got this axe head, and I'm going with it. And God blessed it, and God blessed his life, and God blessed that church. That's the second thing. Third thing is the edge is entrusted for ministry. God entrusts this thing to us, this power. That's why the young boy said when he lost it, he said, Oh, alas, my master, for it was borrowed. I want you to know this. The cutting edge of God on your life is borrowed. You can lose that. Did you know that? You can't lose your salvation, but boy, can you lose your anointing. And can you lose the power of God as he wants to work and flow through your life? And this kid lost the accent and said, this thing was borrowed anyway. Well, it can be lost. And what we've got to do is, like I said, go back to the spot where we lost it, regain it there, and move forward in ministry. It's an entrusted thing. I like the passage in 2 Corinthians 5.19, where the Bible says that God has entrusted to us, listen to this carefully, God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? God has entrusted to the church the ministry to reach the lost world around them. That word entrust is a powerful Greek word. Dr. Drumwright, my Greek professor, tried to help us understand how that, how that word was being used. And he said, in my library, I have all kinds of books. He said, if you come in there, I'll loan you any book in my library except one. He said, I have George W. Truett's preaching Bible, the great preacher, George W. Truett. He said, I have his preaching Bible in my library. I won't loan you that. I will entrust that to you. He said, there's a lot of difference. When I entrust that to you, that means I expect it to be returned because I have entrusted that. And God has entrusted to the church the ministry of reconciliation. And so the edge has been entrusted to us. Oh, yeah, you can lose it over here in a pond somewhere, and you can never go back and get it if you don't want to. You can remain a pretty stale Christian all of your life, bitter at everybody else, bitter at the pastor, bitter at the church, bitter at the choir, bitter at the music. You, know? you can just stay that way. Or you can go back and get it. And that's the last thing I want to share with you. It's supernatural for ministry. If we'll go get it, it's supernatural. And God, God will work it in our lives. Look at verse 6. Elisha came to that spot where the boy had lost the accent. Now here's where it gets good. He got back to that spot right there, and Elisha he said, right there's where I lost it. Elisha said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He went and cut a little piece of tree off, a little limb, and he threw that twig in the water. And the Bible says when he threw that tree in the water, the iron swam. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that would get my attention. That little preacher boy is looking down there, and Elisha threw that stick down in there, and that axe head came up, and it was treading water. And the boy's eyes got about this big. He didn't really know what to do. Let me tell you what that twig is a picture of in the Bible. 
You know what it is? It's the cross. It's the cross. It was the tree. It was the tree that Jesus died on. And I want to tell you something wonderful. Whatever the problem is in your life, wherever you've lost it, wherever you've gone underwater with it, and it's no longer available to you, all you've got to do is immerse the cross in that poor situation, and the supernatural of God becomes part of it for you. And God begins to do it in your life. You just put it in there, and it begins to happen. You know, to this kid's credit, he didn't jump in and flail around trying to find that accent. He knew he couldn't find it. He called the prophet of God, the man of God, and said, i got to have help here. And what he did, he led him to the cross. And you know what I'm going to do every time you have a real big problem in your life? You're going to come to me, and we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about it, we're going to have fellowship about it, <laughs> but ultimately I'm going to take you straight to Jesus because I believe Jesus is where it happens. I believe this whole thing's about Jesus. I don't believe this thing's about having the right kind of building in the right kind of place at the right kind of time. I believe it's all about Jesus Christ. And when we get full of the Holy Spirit and allow Jesus to start working in our lives, God does miracles. I see people that got problems in their lives. All they do is gripe, 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 mumble, grumble, grumble. Hey, start addressing Jesus about it. And throw a stick or two in the water and watch what God does in that situation. Because as soon as he did, he became effective. And that really was the last thing. <laughs> Some of you thought that fourth one was the last thing. But it became effective the minute the cross went in there. The minute the stick went in that thing. And what I love about Elisha is this young boy had to be standing there looking at that. Ooh, I've never seen an axe head swim. His eyes are about this big. And what did Elisha tend to do? Reach down and pick it up. And let's put it back on the handle, buddy. And let's go back to work. You know what happens in churches? Churches will see a little miracle of God. You know what? We'll get caught up with the miracle. Our eyes get this big. And all of a sudden, we want to talk miracle. No, don't talk miracle. Talk miracle worker. His name is Jesus. See, don't get hung up on the miracle, guys. You've got to go to the source of the miracle. And the source of the miracle is the Son of God who died on the cross for us. And we go to him, then we begin to see the power of God. Have you lost your edge a little bit? Have you lost your joy? Are you kind of bogged down? Have you... Have you strayed away from God and you need just a fresh touch? Well, I believe as a denomination we have. I believe that's why we're where we are. That's why you read what you read in the Baptist and Reflector. Because we just don't have that power anymore. We've got a budget big enough to do all the stuff we say we're going to do, but we just don't have. See, you can't buy what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the free gift of God. Isn't that wonderful? Because if you could buy it, one or two of you rich people in here could go buy it. Hey, rich people, you have no advantage over the rest of us. Church, let's shout amen. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Man, I'm so glad this isn't a rich guy's deal. Matter of fact, Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He kind of said the opposite, didn't he? So it has nothing to do with our financial status. It has to do with the desire of our heart. And God will grant it and give it to anyone who wants it. You know, during the invitation, I want to ask our deacons. I know our chairman of the deacons is in New York today. But I want to ask our deacons to come and just find a spot here in the altar and begin to pray, okay? I want you to pray for America. This country's in a real, real crisis this year. I want you to pray for our nation. And then pray for our denomination. That we will, 
we will return to the axe head. We will go back to where we lost it. And we'll begin to swing the sharp edge upon the lost world that needs a touch from Jesus. And maybe some of you want to join the deacons in doing that. That would be great if you do. Uh, they won't mind at all. They'll be happy for you to do that. But you know what? There are others in here, and you need Christ as your Savior. And, you know, it's just glorious almost every Sunday as people say yes to Jesus and want to receive him in their lives. And if that's you, you'd say, you know what? I never have had the edge. I've never really had the power of God on my life. And I want that. I need the power of God. I need Jesus to do a new work in my heart. If that's you and you sense God's tugging on your heart, you know he's there. I want you to understand this. He shed his blood on Calvary's cross that you might have salvation. Again, it has nothing to do with our economics. It has nothing to do with our status in life. It has nothing to do with our education. It has nothing to do with our looks. It has all to do with Jesus and the fact that he has paid the price for us on the cross. And if he's tugging on your heart and you know that you need him as your Savior, I want you just to pray a simple prayer right there where you're seated. Let's just bow our heads together. You'd say, I know I need God in my life, preacher. I need to do what you're talking about. And I want him today. I'm willing to reach out to him. Would you pray this simple prayer with me? Dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. But I do believe you died on the cross to wash away my sin. And I reach out to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you will come into my heart, cleanse me of my sin, be my Savior, begin to guide me in life, help me through these crises that I find myself in. I dedicate myself to you, and I trust you as my personal Savior today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you meant that, you